Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. I'm so glad you've decided to tune in or join us here in our church today. Praise be to God if you've decided to come or you're taking your time out of your busy day and you're tuned in. Praise be to God because God sees that and He sees that you're earnestly wanting to know more about Him or more, you know, know more things about Him. So praise God. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last and final days that we live in right now. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. Now, before we start teaching, before I start saying anything about God's Word or bringing up God's Word, we always ask the Lord to bless our study today and bless our message and ask Him to bless our hearts and help us understand things. Will you join me, please, in a word of prayer so we can ask God for these things, these most these super, super, super important things. Lord, thank you so much, God, for uh, just your service unto us, Lord. Lord, you served us on the cross. Lord, you served us with, with, with 33 years that you lived on this earth, and you served us especially those last three and a half years that you lived, that you were in ministry, Lord God, before they crucified you and, and, and buried you in a tomb. So, Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would help those that are your true children, Lord, to serve you today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to serve you as much as you served us, Lord God, because a servant can never be greater than our masters, Lord God, but we can... We could be like our masters. <coughs> Pardon me. Excuse me, Lord. But so, Lord, help us to serve you like you served us, Lord God. Help us to love you like you loved us, Lord God, because there's no greater love than your love. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would enlighten us today, Lord God, and help us to understand your word, Lord, so that we can apply it to our lives, Lord God. Help us to be obedient then, Lord God, after we understand what you have to say to us today, Lord God, then to do the things that we hear, Lord God, because there's hearing and there's doing. So, Lord, help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers also. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the magnificent and mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 9 today. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20, but I won't read them or teach them until I give my overview or, in a sense, my thoughts from last week's message. It's, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Last week, we looked at the conversion of Saul, the evil-hearted religious leader slash Pharisee, when he encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus as he was going there to what? arrest and drag off and maybe even murder or wait till he got back to Jerusalem to murder, but he was arresting and dragging off Christians that he found there that are that were of the way, is what they call Christianity of that time, or those that had decided to follow Jesus Christ. And what happened to him was unbelievable in that Christ himself caused a debilitating light to appear to him that drove him to his knees, where shortly after this encounter, he surrendered to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Master God of his whole life, and gave him that title with the simple statement, Lord, what do you want me to do? He surrendered. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I do believe at this point that he became a spiritual child of God. At this point, he did become born again. And then after Christ told him what to do, he shows his true conversion by then going and what? Unquestionably doing what Jesus Christ told him to do. What 
an amazing conversion this was. Think of what Christ said to his disciples one time on the idea of conversion. Just think about this. Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus says this, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And what did Saul do when he got converted? He obeyed and he trusted in the Lord that God was going to take care of him. He waited three days and he perfectly did exactly what Christ told him to do, just as a little child would obey and they would be dependent on their moms and dads. And so that's why I see that plainly Saul was born again at this point. So it is my opinion of Scripture because Scripture says it plainly. But every person who claims to be a true child of God, believing themselves saved and going to heaven when they die, should have a conversion story. Kind of like I do, kind of like how Saul did, how he gives us his conversion story later on in Acts. A time when they or you can say that you remember definitely something different. God drawing you to himself. God wooing you to himself. And then at a point you could say, I, I, I just couldn't, I had, I, I decided, counted the costs. I looked at my life and I realized how miserable I was and I realized I needed a change and I needed Jesus. And so I, I turned to the Lord. And I, I cried out to him and I surrendered my life to him. And then the most important part, I became a different and more God and Christ-centered person because of the fact of that encounter that I had with Christ Jesus and God Almighty. Every person that we read of in the Bible that truly submitted their lives to Christ, who became truly born again, experienced what I just talked about just now, including myself almost 18 years ago now today. So I would challenge all those who are listening to me today upon what we looked upon with Saul, who believed themselves to be born again and true spiritual children of God, so believe themselves to be on the way to heaven when they die. I challenge you this. Please go back in your lives and search out the moment in time when you believe that Christ came to you personally and that you submitted your life to him and you became, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if... And after you have examined in this matter, you know this to be true. Yes, I can. Yes, Pastor. I know that time. I fell on my knees or I, I cried out to God. And I said, Jesus, I need you. And I'll add now, if you find that to be true, uh, are you still there today? Are you still walking in that relationship with him today? Because this is just as important as when you were first saved to be continuing in that walk with the Lord. Uh, so are you still on fire for Jesus like the moment when you first met him? Or has your fire gone out? Or maybe that you've even possibly walked away from him and you're not really walking with him anymore. Remember Jesus gave the parable of the sower. This parable is so, so, so powerful. The word of God was the seed and, and Jesus Christ in Matthew 13 was, was talking about the four types of soils that that seed, the word of God, goes upon. Remember, Matthew 13, some fell by the wayside, some fell on stony places, some fell among thorns, others fell on good ground. All heard the word. That's important to notice. God showed me that. They all heard it. They all heard the word. Only three out of the four received the word. One of them didn't receive it. That was the first one. The other three, it says they received 
the word. That's important. That means that they actually received the word unto a new relationship with Christ. They all received the word. But only one actually endured through all the junk that came to spoil their soils. Only one, which were their hearts, which God told us. And they kept their heart good and strong toward Christ, and they bore fruit and continued with the Lord until they died. Only one, only one endured to the end. And the reason the other two that received the word didn't endure was because they let the outside evil things of this world back into their hearts. One, they let persecution affect their walk with the Lord, and that made them walk away from the Lord. And the other one, they let the cares of this world, which means the worry, and all the stuff, and all the junk, and all the sin, back in. And this caused them to die spiritually, as we know that they withered away and were choked out. And which means that they did not inherit eternal life with God Almighty when they died. Just some things I want you all to think about, because I want you to remember this. Just because you start a race well or start a race at all doesn't mean that you finish that race. Not everybody that starts a race will finish the race, and especially in the spiritual. We're running a race of faith. We're running a race of trust in Christ. We have to finish that race. Enduring in Christ until we die, for Jesus, Matthew 24, only those who endure to the end shall be saved. Which means that it is the same with the race of faith in Christ. You must start the race of faith and endure in that race of faith, the race you begin to run with Him or and in Him until you die, or else you won't inherit the crown of eternal life that Jesus Christ promised. Listen to these scriptures, James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. <clears throat> Listen, for when he has been approved. So we're all going to get those temptations. All those things are going to come upon our hearts and come at our hearts to attack us, to draw us back to evil, to draw us back to sin. But then James says, for when he has been approved. Okay, that's important. For when we've endured, when we've overcome, you could say, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I'll add then, according to the context of the scripture, those continue to love him. And then 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25, Do you not know that those who run are in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So run hard like you're running for a prize, speaking of the race of faith. And listen to the context. This is not rewards. Listen to the context of this. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do to obtain a perishable crown. But we, speaking about Christians, speaking about those that are on the path, trying to run the race, but we for an imperishable crown. Well, that's not a reward, Christian. That's not a reward. That's not a reward like some kind of reward. We're going to be, you know, like, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Here, get all these rewards. This imperishable crown is the same crown, the crown of life that James is talking about. Run in such a way that you may obtain the crown of life. I just, this is so important to me. I want everyone who listens to me to go to heaven when they die. Everybody, everywhere who listens to me, I want you to go to heaven when you die. And that's all. And there's so much deception in the pulpits. There's so much deception in the churches in our world today. And in so many ways, but especially in the wicked and false doctrine of unconditional 
Once saved, always saved. I, I'm saved and no matter what happens to me, I'm good to go till I die. So many think that they are in Christ, yet they don't examine themselves, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. And I'll end this overview with this because I could have made this a whole sermon itself. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. That's a test. Hey, look to yourself. Look in yourself. Look, hold yourself. Hold your life against Scripture. Examine yourself. See where you're at, right? Test yourselves, he goes on to say. Do you not know, you yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Well, they see, Pastor Ed, well, there you go. See, there's no way we can lose our salvation, right? Unless you finish the verse, actually. Unless we see here, indeed, you are disqualified. So see, unless you're disqualified. So you may be deceived in thinking you're okay, Unless you've been disqualified and you just don't remember, or you just don't realize it because you've been self-deceived. So please, 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 please examine yourselves today. Did you start the race? Were you born again? Did you change? And are you still running the race as Paul did? And as Paul, we talked, we're going to talk about him now. All right, so let's get into our new message, shall we? Message title today, God's Makeover of Saul. Love the title. God's makeover of Saul. So if you want to read Acts 9, 10 through 20 with me, please. I'd appreciate it, for I love the scriptures. They're what lead us to God and lead us to a relationship with God. Chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he's praying. I love that. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, which is you. God's speaking about Ananias in the third person there. I love the way God speaks to him here. He's seen you, Ananias, coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to hear my name or to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, notice that brother Saul there, I'll point that out when I'm teaching. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Verse 21, last one. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Wow. Immediately. God's makeover of Saul. Interesting that God led me to do the overview the way I did it because the sermon is going to kind of tie right into that, as you'll see as we get toward our close. But it's very interesting the way God does things, and I didn't know we were going this way when I did this overview. So pay away from Saul for a while because, remember, God told him to go to Damascus, wait there until he told him what to do next. And he, being a good servant, a new servant of Christ, I believe, that is the Most High God, did what God told him to do. And in verse 9, he told us that either neither ate nor drank for three days, for he was waiting on God, literally. 
because God literally made him wait three days at the house of Judas until even <laughs> until the event we're going to read about today happens. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Read them with me over again, please. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said to him, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. We see here at the three-day mark, God begins to move in the heart of one of his disciples, Ananias. Through what? Through a vision, right? For he lived in Damascus. Now, how do we know he lived in Damascus? Well, God told him, hey, go to the street called Straight. Now, there's nobody that doesn't live in Damascus. Like if you live in McKinney or you live in Dallas or you live in you know, Fort Worth and you say, hey, go to this street here, go to that street there. If, you, if you've never been to that city or you don't live there, you're not going to know the street called Straight. So we know Ananias lived in Damascus and therefore he knows exactly what God's telling him. Hey, oh yeah, that street, Straight Street. Yeah, I got it. And God's message to him was to go to Saul, who was at Judas's house. Now, not the Judas Iscariot that killed himself already. He was already dead. So go to Judas's house, a disciple of Christ, now on Straight Street. Notice here this time that Christ didn't come to him personally like he did on the road to Damascus, right? He's going to go to Saul, but he's not going to Saul personally this time. This time he decides to go to Saul in the person of Ananias, right? That's important because normally, and more we see now than anything more, God chooses to work through people. That's just how God chooses to do things. God very rarely anymore nowadays, especially in America, comes personally to somebody in a vision or something. God usually uses people to come give other people messages from him. This is what we see consistently throughout the Bible. Uh, God wants to work through you today. God wants to do things through you today because he works through people. So I would, I would encourage you and exhort you, are you yielding to him so that he can work through you. That's important because we know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we know that God can want us to do something, but the scriptures tell us that we can deny God and reject God's will and not do what God says. So pray that you're in God's will and ask God if he wants you doing something, then help him to get you on that road to going to do that. That's important. Moving on. So God made Saul wait three days for Ananias to come, which meant that he literally waited on God. But notice here that while he waited on God, he prayed. That's important. Scripture doesn't imply here at all that Saul just prayed occasionally either. I see as Saul's, this was Saul's personal ongoing prayer vigil. Like it seems to me that he was just waiting on God consistently in prayer. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. There wasn't anything called TV. There wasn't anything called radio. And he couldn't even see. I mean, really? I mean, other than if he was just going to sit there or sleep, I bet you if he wasn't just sleeping, I bet you he was praying. Why do I think that he was on a personal prayer vigil? Well, just a couple things that God showed me throughout this week as I was doing the sermon. Actually, God showed me this a little later on as I kept going through the sermon. Well, remember, he was a new convert. So why would he have been having to pray so much? Well, I'm sure he had a lot of things to talk to God about, right? Just a couple things to think about. How about deep repentance for his actions against Christians? And then Jesus Christ said, you're against them, you're against me. So I bet you he had a lot of things to talk to God about, about, hey, Lord, remember all that time I was doing all those evil against your children? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I'm sure he was grieved to his heart as I know, I don't know if all of you have been, but I know, I know me as a saved 
person born again many years ago, when I've just been sitting there and meditating on the Lord, sometimes I'll think about some things that I used to do, you know, that I used to do when I was younger, before I knew Christ. And then I kind of transposed myself now to that person then, and I go, oh, Lord, I can't believe I did that stuff to my wife, and I was that rotten of a person to my son, and I used to do those evil, oh my gosh, Lord. And I'll repent now almost 20 years later, or over 20 years later, just because I feel, I feel like such a dirtbag for all the ways I was evil before I knew Christ. And I'm so thankful that God saved me, right? He saved me even knowing that I did all those things. He still saved me. So I could see Saul here going, Lord, I can't believe you saved me. I did all those things and you said I was persecuting you. Oh my gosh, Lord God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I'm sure that was one of the things, one of the reasons why Saul was praying so much. Uh, also, we have to think now, the God of the, I'm not going to say it this way because I almost did it as out of habit, but a lot of people think that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. That's, that's not true. There's one God throughout the whole Bible. Okay, that's just one God throughout the whole Bible. He, he chose to reveal himself one way in the Old Testament and he chose to reveal himself different in the New Testament, but it's one God. But the way he wanted people to worship him in the Old Testament was quite a bit different than we worship God in the New Testament. And you see, in the Old Testament, it was through sacrifices, and it was through prayer, but then we had you know, all these ritualistic things that God wanted to do, and these new moons, and these Sabbath days, and all these things that God wanted people to worship Him with. And yet, in the New Testament, we just talked about it today. I prayed, I prayed about it this morning before we actually started our worship service. Well, Jesus said, God is spirit, and He seeks those to worship Him in spirit and truth, which means that you don't have to come to God with a bowl anymore. You don't have to come to God with a ram anymore or with a, a dove or with a pigeon. And, well, this is way against Saul's ideal of, oh, my gosh, this is how I have to come to God. So, of course, he had to get to know now the God of the Bible, the way God of the Bible wants to say, I want to be worshipped now. Hey, that old way, that's gone. I don't want them sacrifices no more. I don't want all those things anymore. I just want you, and I want you to come to me, and I want you to bring me your heart, and I just want you to just love me just for who I am. And so, of course, this went against his, his religious, he was in religious culture shock. Saul was here. He, and I'm sure God was revealing all this to him now as he was sitting there and meditating on the Lord and thinking about all the scriptures. And God was revealing himself now through Jesus Christ more. And so he had a lot to pray to God about. I'm sure those three days with no food and no water. We think about it in our minds now. We go, three days, no food, no water. I bet you for Saul, the way the things he was thinking about, the repentance he was going through, God revealing himself in Christ, I'm sure those three days he might not even have slept. I'm sure those three days. Moses was on the, on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights and neither ate nor drank, and he did it twice. And I'll guarantee you that time he spent with the Lord there and with, with Moses and how Saul spent time with God, I bet you he didn't even feel those three days, not one bit. Yes, uh, he had a lot of adjustments to make. I'll just, I'll just close it off with that way. I spent way too long on that section that I, I meant to. But he had a lot of adjustments to make personally and spiritually, which, again, added all together, he had a lot of stuff to talk to God about. So it doesn't surprise me even a little bit that he had a super long prayer vigil while he was waiting on God to tell him uh, you know, what to do because he had a lot to talk to God about. So back to Scripture. So God tells Ananias, go to Judah's house 
asked for Saul so he could speak to him through Ananias. But what was God doing to prepare Saul's heart to receive his visitor? Look at verse 12. And in a vision, he, Saul, has seen a man named Ananias coming to him, putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. Notice that God was preparing Saul's heart for his visitor. This is so important because think about when we're going to go talk to somebody about the Lord. Think about when we're, we're off and we're out throughout our day and God brings about a conversation that you know, we have with somebody. We have to know, we have to be asking, we have to be praying, hey God, prepare the people's hearts that we're going to talk to about you just like God prepared Saul's heart here. Whether it be to give a message to an unbeliever or to give a message to a babe in Christ as Saul was, or whether a message for a veteran in the Lord, God must prepare the hearts of those whom we go to. When I was on the streets for Christ years ago, uh, just only a couple now, until God called me to the pulpit and away from that for a bit, uh, God used to, when we used to go out to the highways and byways to, to talk to people about Christ, we always used to pray before we went out, God, Please prepare the hearts of those whom we're going to so that, Lord, they can, they can hear you, so that we can get through to them, so that your work, in a sense, has a prepared field. Think about a farmer, right? A farmer just doesn't go out and just start sowing his seed just on the ground. What does he do? He prepares the soil. He tills the soil. He, he takes out all the rocks. He puts the fertilizer in it, and then he plants the seed. Only after the soil is prepared. So remember, as you're going out, as you're serving God, as you're doing what you're doing for the Lord, even daily. You know what? I, and, and the Lord just struck me just now. Pray, Lord, prepare the hearts of those whom I'm going to talk to today. And Lord, I, I pray that their hearts would be ripe and ready for me to talk to them. Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And, you know, making a parallel here, unless the Lord prepares the soil of the sand of the, of the, that you're going to sow your seed on, then you might as well sow in seed. If now, on the other hand, you want to be successful in bringing people to the Lord or successful in getting through to the Lord, we must ask the Lord to prepare the soils of the hearts that we reach out to. So God is preparing Saul's heart for his godly visitor to come. But what was Saul's visitor? Was he as willing as uh, other messengers of the Lord ha have been with unquestioned obedience that the disciple Philip had, let's say, in Acts 8. Well, look at verses 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. So did he have the unquestioned obedience that uh, Philip had? In the last couple last chapters of Acts that we just read, well, not quite. Uh, this messenger has a huge reservation. What's the reservation's name? It's called Harm, Pain, and Suffering. And uh, I'm writing a book right now. And, and in it, a small part deals with the motivation that pain and suffering bring upon people to either get them to do something or stop them from doing something, right? And it's for sure, we, as we see here with our eyes, the thought of harm pain, and suffering are good motivators. And here we see that because of the possibility of Saul bringing them upon him, right? Ananias, Lord, he could, he, he's probably going to hurt me. 
Well, Lord, are you crazy? You're calling me to this guy? He, he came here just for the specific point to get me, right? He questions God on whether or not he really wanted him to go and give Saul a message. Was Ananias wrong for questioning God and asking him to talk to Saul? I mean, didn't Ananias get the message from Christ back in Matthew 24, 9? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I mean, didn't he hear that message? Didn't he know, hey, that's what I'm getting into? That's what I'm signing up for when he first followed Christ? Well, whether he realized it or not, right? Whether he realized it or not, the way God chose to spoke to Ananias, I do believe he was wrong for questioning God in this sake, okay? For, for goodness sake, he heard God in a vision, right? He, he knew what God spoke like, you know what God spoke like. He didn't question at all. Lord, is this really you speaking to me? So the way he speaks about it, he'd had visions from God before. So he knew this was God. And so I think he was wrong for questioning God and what God told him to do here. There are times that we may think we hear from God on difficult issues. And for those times, I think it's okay to question the fact of, hey, am I really hearing from you, God? Is that really you, Lord? Is that really you? But we shouldn't ever question God when he speaks to us in the supernatural ways that he chooses to sometimes. Because when we know it's his voice, we know it's his voice. And you know what I'm talking about. If you're a, a real child of God, your spirit bears witness with me, you know when it's daddy. You just know. But then there's other times when you're like, oh, is that you, daddy? Is that not you? You know, is it... You want me to go do what? I don't know. And it, it may turn out to be him. It may be. But, you know, we're just like, it's so wild what God wants us to go do. It's like, Lord, are you sure? Oh, Lord, God, that doesn't seem right. But even though Ananias questioned God here, okay, we've got to back up a little bit. In spite of the amazing and supernatural way that God spoke to him, and I, and I don't believe that he should have, <laughs> He did, and that's that. I mean, that's really it. But, but although he did, and I disagree with him for doing it, I can't blast him too much for it. I just can't. Why? Well, when you consider the circumstances of God's request for him to go to Saul, we'll call Saul now the Christian slayer, because that's really what he was at this time. He was the Christian slayer. I bet you right now, I'm, I'm willing, I'm not a betting man for money, but I, I'll bet you a, a pizza or a Coca-Cola, I bet you there's not one earnest Christian in the world that loves God with all their hearts, either then or now, that probably wouldn't have done the same thing. And I include myself in that, Lord, you want me to go to who and do what? You want me to specifically go to the Christian slayer? And you want me to touch him and say, hey, I'm here from God. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I know you came here to get me. And I know you came here to draw me away. And I know you, you came here just to arrest me and imprison me and maybe kill me. But here, I'm, I'm here to give you a message from the Lord. And I'll guarantee you, knowing what Saul was there for, not one of us would be like, oh, yeah, all right, all right, I'm going, God. Yeah, that's you. Sure, I got it. I bet you not even one. I bet you not even one. Uh, I, I could he easily hear any one of us now and then saying these very same words, even though God spoke to him the amazing way that he did. And if you think that that wouldn't stop you, if, if you say, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'll for sure go. Well, I'll, 
I'll for sure go. I'll remind you, as I do in the book, that you, you think these words in the comfort of this safe church, <laughs> and you think these words in the comfort of your safe home where you're on your smartphone or you're sitting in front of your computer, and guess what? Everybody's brave sitting in front of the computer. Everybody's brave sitting in the house, okay? It's easy to be brave when you're not in that kind of position. <laughs> Remember Jesus Christ in the 12, Matthew 26. He knew that he was going into the time of his passion where he'd be arrested, he'd be tried and crucified, murdered for the sins of the world, and he knew, for it had been foretold in a prophecy, that all his followers would flee from him at the time that this was going to happen. So, so he told them all about it, right? And, and yet since they weren't in that situation... They weren't there. <laughs> they weren't faced with it. They were kind of on the way, right? Remember Matthew 26, 35, the boldest that they had, right? Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, Lord, well, I will not deny you. And guess what? All the rest of the disciples said the very same thing. Because guess why? They weren't right there. They weren't in the midst of the war. It's easy to be brave when you're on the sidelines of the football game. Oh, coach, just let me in there. I'll oh, get them. But when then when you get in there, you see that six foot nine guy that weighs 425 pounds, and you're like, oh, my goodness gracious, I want it in this game? Oh, my gosh, right? It's easy to be big and brave, a big talker when there's no danger and no possibility of pain and suffering. And you could trust me on this. Just one more example I'm going to give. I did street ministry for years because God told me in plain and powerful ways, and there probably wasn't even one time that I went out to talk to people about Christ having the knowledge that they were going to respond to my message in a terribly negative way and reject my witness to them that I wasn't terribly scared. There wasn't probably one time that I went out in like seven to ten years or more, actually, that I went out purposely to do this. And this is in, we're talking about Dallas, Texas, you know, southern Florida, where the chance of me losing my life or going to prison for doing this is, I don't know, about 0%. The way I did it, I wasn't a hate preacher or anything. I didn't have to have the cops around me when I was preaching. I just preached the truth and one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I, I had about a 0% of getting killed or 0% of going to prison, unlike Ananias here in Scripture. And there were times that even though I knew that God spoke to me plainly and in supernatural ways to go... As God told Ananias here, go, right? That I didn't question him about me still continuing to go because the ministry, well, it wasn't kind of going like I wanted to. I, I thought, well, people are going to be more receptive than this, Lord. And after weeks and weeks and months and months and years of just nothing but hard heads and not wanting to hear what I had to say, God, do you still want me to go? Lord, I know you, I know you spoke to me, but still? So again, I just reiterate, although I don't agree or approve of the Ananias here questioning God for, for the terrible, tough mission that he sent him on, like he sent me on, I don't blame him, and I'm not going to be too hard on him for questioning God about this, even though it was wrong. Sometimes when God asks you to do hard things, you get weak and you question him. Is it good? No, but we do, and unfortunately we're weak. How did God respond? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. How did God respond to Ananias questioning him? Did he get angry with him? Oh, Ananias, oh, bad boy. Did he, did he get really frustrated with him? Look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go, 
For he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God didn't get mad at Ananias for questioning him. Now, we, we do see a time in Scripture when God did get mad at somebody, and that was Moses. Right? And, and, and why? Why did he get angry with Moses? Well, Moses continued to ask on. He continued to press on. I can't do this, Lord. I can't do this. I can't do this. Ananias didn't keep arguing with God here. He just questioned him one time. He said, go, and then, you know, he just tells him why. So he didn't get angry. He just firmly tells him to go, get the job done, because he told him that he had some very important things for Saul to do and some things that, that tell Saul about his future employment with Jehovah. God's job responsibilities for Saul, let's take a look at those. Number one, Go tell all peoples of the world he's my son, or about my son, Jesus Christ, even Gentiles. Now, that was a new thing for the Christian church. That was a new thing. Gentiles, up until this point, had not been reached for the Lord. The Samaritans were close, but they were of Jewish descent, and the Jews kind of knew that. They weren't Gentiles, yet Paul was supposed to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to try to get them saved. And this is a message that Ananias had for Saul. Now, Scripture really doesn't, doesn't talk too much about this more here. We, we only see the real big problem when Saul, who's soon to become Paul, actually goes to a man named Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and then they all get saved, and then the church is in a big uproar at that point. But we won't get there yet. We'll, we'll get there soon. But this here was brand new. Ananias probably wasn't even realizing what he was saying, but he was just doing, saying what God had you know, said to say. But the second main thing here that God said for Ananias to tell Saul about his mission, he was meant, his mission was to suffer many things for God's name's sake. Ouch. Ouch. I bet you I'm willing to bet. Right now, another, another bet here, Coca-Cola or pizza. I bet you there aren't, there aren't even 10% of all the churches in all of America that would touch this verse with a 25-foot pole. Amen? Most wouldn't touch it. They probably wouldn't think that they could find any love of God in it. But I disagree with that. I disagree that you can't find the love of God and God saying that one of, Paul, one of Saul's missions for him was to suffer. I totally see the love of God in, in God's mission of suffering for Saul. The very reason for this type of mission for Saul was because God knew that most people that Saul would go to would be hostile toward the gospel, right? Think about this. See the love here, which makes this mission for Saul's suffering a labor of love, right? And exactly, and how do we know it was a labor of love? Because it's exactly what Christ did, right? Christ suffered many things for God's name's sake because why? He went to people that were hard heads and they didn't really want to hear him. So God said, hey, Saul, you're going to be basically continuing on the mission here that I sent my son Christ on. You see, he went to share the gospel with those hostile against him because God loves, not because God hated Saul. You could easily look at the scripture and think, well, the only reason that God sent Saul on this mission was because Saul was just a rotten man. I, I'll be honest with you. I actually saw that for years. I thought the only reason that God put the, him on this mission of suffering was because of all the rottenness that he did before he was saved. But we know that's not right. That can't be right. Because you see, in the, the Bible says that once you're saved, God remembers your sins no more. 
So you see, if God was still holding Saul accountable for the sin that he committed before he knew Christ, then that would mean that God's still going to punish us for our sins or will punish us for our sins before we know, and that makes his word void. We know that God's word says, again, once we're saved, our sins are gone. Saul, the only reason God called Saul to this mission, again, was because it was a labor of love. The very fact that Saul was called to go through the great sufferings for God in Christ's name's sake was for the gospel's sake and for his love for mankind to get the lost saved. Isn't God love? Isn't God such love? I mean, really, no matter how you look at him, no matter from what angle, I don't care. People would say the God of the Old Testament was the God of wrath. I say, I look at the Old Testament, I say, no, I see a God of love. I see a God of love. He laid down a perfect way to worship Him. He he told people how to come to Him then. Many people rejected, so what did they face? They faced His wrath. Well, the same God, it's in the New Testament now, people that are rejecting Him now, they're going to meet that wrathful God in the end of days. Where the Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, no matter whether you love the Lord or not, you're going to meet that wrathful God. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But because this verse on the surface here, the reason people don't think God is love here, is not plainly love. It's not on the surface plainly love. And, it, and it's not kissy-poo. Oh, oh, Saul's going to have it so easy. Oh, just, just tell him he's going to go have everything so wonderful. You really probably just won't hear it in many churches. Plus, you won't hear it in many churches because I'm what I'm going to say right now. <laughs> this is something God showed me here. If God called Saul to a ministry of suffering... Right, Because of love for the lost, well, I'll add that in there now too, he could still do it with any of his servants today, couldn't he? God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? And we can't think that, well, we're exempt, right? And you definitely, definitely won't really hear that from church's pulpits nowadays, right? Oh, you're called to suffer, brother! Woo! Praise the Lord! I bet you you won't even get one amen. I bet you you won't even get one. The Lord's called many of you in here to suffer for Him today. You, 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 you'd hear the crickets in the background. You, you'd hear the crickets in the background. You see, because any one of us could be called to a ministry of suffering. In heavens, no. In America, we would never want to tell any Christian that they're called to a ministry of suffering for God, right? That doesn't fit in with the wonderful easy, prosperous lifestyle that most Americans are, most American preachers preach today, right? Oh, brother, 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 the Lord loves you. Oh, the Lord's given his divine goodness upon you, brother and sister. You won't hear that. You know, I'm not hearing that here, right? Right, 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 right. It doesn't fit what most preachers in America preach. They promise their congregations they'll have, they, they'll have this wonderful life in Christ, right? This, this, False doctrine. I'll just call it what it is right now. This false doctrine, right? That because why do I know that, that no easy lifestyle is meant for really any true Christian at all? No non-suffering life in any way is meant for no Christian at all. How do I know that? Well, if we if we just look, just just read with an honest heart. We just look through the whole New Testament, and you just and you just go all, even extra biblical. Let's go ahead and look at the early church fathers. And the whole first few hundred years, even after the church, just just show me one Abraham. Just just show me one place 
or any of these Christians had it so good that, bless God, oh man, everything's great. I see a lot of Job's. I see a lot of Saul's. I see a lot of Peter's and John's when they were, when they were arrested and taken to the temple and they were threatened. You better stop preaching Christ or else. And they said, no, we better do what God said more than what you said. And then they beat him. And then they run away excited because they got to suffer for the name of the Lord. That's what I see in the Bible. I don't see any more Abrahams. And I'll tell you, Abraham, although he, he was wealthy, he didn't really have that good of a life either. If you want to take a look, God made him wait 25 years to have his first legitimate of his own blood son with the promised wife and the promised husband. 25 years, think of it. God promises you something. Oh, it's a promise. It's good in the bank. Yeah, it's good to go. All right, well, all right today, Lord, right? Today? All right, Lord. All right, not today, Lord. Tomorrow? A year? 25 years? A quarter of a century or a decade? Century? That's not too easy. I don't see that being too easy. False doctrine, guys. These preachers in America promise you Oh, it's going to be wonderful after you come to Christ. Oh, your life's going to get so great and so wonderful. Wow, everything's just going to be so awesome for you. But they lie. They lie. These preachers aren't reading from any Bible that I know. They're probably reading from the Osteen Bible or from the Jeffersonian Bible because they all they see they only preach certain topics that they like. They only preach certain, well, they only preach certain things that are good. They don't preach you the whole Bible. In the context, full context of the New Testament or any even the Old Testament, we don't read of any posh lifestyle of any true follower of Christ. I read of hardships, rejection, hatred against, even, even, even so many called to suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Saul here was today. Christians, beware who you're listening to in regards to what Scripture says plainly, because again, nowhere, and I'll repeat, nowhere, all caps here, in the entire New Testament, and I'll even add the old two, that we read of any promise of a great and wonderful, easy, no problems with wealth imaginable lifestyles. I just don't see it. I challenge you. If you, are, if you think I'm wrong, email me. Call me. My phone number is in my church website. My emails are, call me. We'll talk. If I'm wrong, I will recant and repent, but show me. Please show me. But in fact, when I, when I look at the Bible, I see this. Just, just looking at what Christ said, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. See, know where the peace was? It was abiding in him. That's where the peace was. In the world, he says, you'll have tribulation. In the world. Like, so in me, if we're abiding in him, we're going to have peace for our souls. But in the world, he said, we're going to have lots of problems. We're going to have lots of suffering. We're going to have lots of torments. We're going to have lots of pain. We're going to have lots of disappointments. We're going to have a lot of backstabbings. We're going to have a lot of betrayals. So be in him and you can have peace. But that doesn't mean your lifestyle and your life is at all going to be posh and easy at all. 
Anyway, getting back to our scripture at hand. Did Ananias go, as God plainly told him? Look at verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me to, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He tells Saul that he's there for the same Lord that met him on just outside of Damascus, right? He told him why he was there, to let him have his sight back and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And we know that this Holy Spirit was given to Saul so that he would have the power of the Holy Spirit to do the works that God called him to do and go through the sufferings that God wants that God wanted Saul to endure because we know that if God ordains you to go through a certain type of lifestyle then he's going to enable you to do that lifestyle too he's going to he's going to enable you he's going to equip you as I know as I've had much suffering in the Lord myself and he has equipped me and he's enabled me now remember that I had said last week that I believe Saul was saved when he spoke the words Lord what do you want me to do which would have made him a follower of Christ, hence a brother in Christ, the Bible calls it, right? To all those who are or were and are real followers of Christ. And here we see that Ananias calls Saul brother. We don't read that too many other times in, in the New Testament unless Jesus is saying, oh, you're brethren. Or, but here Ananias calls Saul his brother before Saul is anointed with the Holy Spirit, right? He says, brother Saul, receive, receive this, receive that. So if the Holy Spirit anointing that he got here was so that he could be born again. Why did Ananias call Saul brother, which would indicate that he was already a Christian at this point before he was filled not to be saved? God had spoken to Ananias about Saul, and I do believe again that Ananias called Saul brother because Saul had been born again already, hence becoming a spiritual family member to all true Christians. What was the result of Ananias' obedience of doing what God told him to do for Saul? Look at verses 18 through 20. Quickly, immediately, what fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once so he gets delivered now i do believe the blindness was a punishment for his persecution against christians i do believe that so he gets delivered from god's punishment that he had laid upon him because of his persecution of his kids which was the blindness on the road to damascus and what does he do then immediately after he's delivered god tells him next he arose and was baptized notice immediately here Immediately, he exhibits again more. He continues to exhibit, I should say, the fruits of salvation, the fruits of being born again. He, he's already been saved. He goes and he becomes obedient. Right after that, uh, he, he then goes and he, he waits there three days. Then he gets baptized. Then it scales from his eyes. Then he goes and is baptized. All these things are good fruits that all stem, I believe, from his getting saved. And then next, literally right after he has his strength back and he can see, look at verses 19 and 20. The rest of 19, I should say, in 20. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So immediately, what did he do? <laughs> immediately, what did he continue to do? He had fellowship with other Christians. See that? See what his conversion brought him? His conversion brought him obedience, obedience to being baptized, now fellowship, What's he do after that? Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. What an amazing change that Saul went through. Literally, he, he was charging to Damascus to murder and, and, and imprison and drag off to Jerusalem all who were of the way, or all who are Christians. Christ meets him. He has an encounter with Christ. Now, remember my overview now. <laughs> remember my overview. He's this wicked and evil man bent on the destruction of Christians. He gets saved. 
he starts being obedient, and that obedience leads him to baptism, and that obedience leads him to fellowship, and then that obedience leads him to evangelism. And we see that as Saul's complete conversion, like his his absolute, complete 180 turn. What we see is the title of the message, God's makeover of Saul. What a complete transformation he gets. He goes from Christ's greatest opponent to Christ's greatest proponent. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Wow, Saul. Wow. I, I love the story of what God did in Saul's life. Now, of course, we're about to end, but of course we can't end the sermon looking at just looking at God's makeover of Saul, right? Bible says that God wrote his word for us to learn from it, right? As an example to instruct us, right? That's one of the reasons why the word of God was written, why God had his word written. Not just to enjoy or find interesting those we read of. So we must now, we must end. We must end. Not just learning all these things about Saul, we must now end with turning from looking at Saul to now looking at ourselves. Here's what we can learn. If you would consider yourself a born-again person today, what kind of makeover has God given you since you've met him? Kind of makeover. Think about it, right? And what kind of makeover is he still giving you to this day? Bible calls that sanctification, right? If you're still saved and you're still on the path, then the Bible says that you're going to be continually sanctified, which means we're going to become more like Christ the more we go on. And I would say in the years or weeks or months or years since you've been made over by God. So what I mean by that, <clears throat> here's the question I want you to like kind of have in your minds as we're going through this stuff. What would you tell someone today if they asked, hey man, oh, you're a you're a believer, you're saved, what kind of 180-degree turnaround has happened to you since you've been saved? If somebody asked you that question today, how would you answer? Well, hey, man, what kind of, what kind of makeover has God given you? If, let's say a, some unbeliever heard this message, and they came and they, they, knew, a, they, they you know, knew you at work, and they're, hey, you, you say you're a Christian. Well, hey, tell me what kind of makeover God's given you since you've been turned around by Christ, right? Because here, here's what we see scripturally. Here's what we see scripturally. If you've had a makeover from God, and you're still being made over, I'll say, because you haven't backslidden away from Christ, so that you're still abiding in Christ the vine, right? John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I'll, and I'll add, continues to do so, because that's the context. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing, right? So what fruit, if you then, you say, I'm a Christian, if you are, then you should be looking for these fruits, the fruits that we find in the Bible, if God has made you over, has given you a makeover, and he's continuing to give you a makeover, right? You should be, you should see yourself, and you should experience yourself, look at yourself intently and say, you should be loving others, despite their sin and despite their flaws. You should be loving others. You should be, because that's what we see Saul did, right? He turned to love. He didn't attack Ananias when he came to him, right? He loved him. He didn't turn on him and rage and attack him and draw him away. He loved him, right? Then what did he do? One of the other things we saw Saul do, he started fellowship with other believers. We saw that, 
That's one thing Saul did. So then we could say, hey, well, if Saul got made over that way, well, then we ought to be being made over that way. What do we see then next? What did Saul do after that? Well, he got involved in church. So you should be in a church home, not just going once in a while. Or, or you should be seeking God's heart to see where he wants you to go, actively attending places of worship to see where God would have you to go as a home church. Because we know that the Bible doesn't talk really too much about a lone Christian soldier. We're, we're part of an army, and we're part of an army of Christ. In him, we're all one, but we see a body of Christ, right? A group of believers. We don't just read about one lone soldier here or there or whatever. Even Saul went with, uh, after Saul was converted and he finally become, they start calling him Paul. Then he hooks up with a guy named Barnabas and he starts going evangelizing with Barnabas and even a guy named Timothy and, and all these. And so he's with people going and planting churches and then being involved in those churches for a while. So we see there that Saul and even in the Bible, it's, believers are in church. Number four, you should be reading God's Word daily because you have a desire to do so. Not just because, well, <laughs> golly, it's the religious thing to do today. Just got to do it. No, you should be reading God's Word because you have a desire to do so because you've been changed. Right? Number five, you should want to talk to others about Jesus Christ. What did Saul do? He went right after his fellowship and he went out and he preached the gospel. He preached Christ, God's Son. You should be talking to others about Jesus Christ. I and mean, this is something you can look for in yourself after you've been converted and after you've been made over. These are the things that you should be looking for in yourself. Number six, your focus now in your life should be on Christ. Now, should be mainly a lot, mostly on Christ, right? You should be striving to obey the Bible. That should be another one. You should be uh, desiring to pray and be spending time in much prayer every day. After Saul was converted, what did he do? He spent three days in prayer, right? I mean, maybe we don't have to be in a, we can't, anybody that has a life can't be in a three-day prayer vigil where they don't even sleep, but certainly we ought to be in steeped in prayer, right? That's what we saw Saul do when he was converted, right? Uh, number nine, the things of God should be important to you. Things of God should be important to you. Number 10, you will enjoy and even desire to talk about the Bible and God and Jesus Christ with just people that you know and brothers and sisters in Christ. You should desire to do that. And you should be keeping away from things like, so we know after, after conversion, Bible talks about things keeping away from sin. That should be something that we see in ourselves. Sin should be a fleeting thing. So getting rid of and not watching filthy TV shows anymore. Filthy with profanity, movies where they use God's name in vain and use profanity and movies are all about sex. That's not something that the Bible says that a true born again person that walks with Christ should be involved in. You should be stopping and not even at all using profanity personally anymore. And you will be, you should stop listening and you shouldn't even be listening anymore to music that has profanity in it anymore. Because how can, how can from a, how can from a good spring come foul water? Right? I mean, that's just uh, that's, uh, that's something that the text of Christianity talks about, right? So, shall putrefying water come from a pure spring? Well, no, right? 
shouldn't be all about sex. You're going to actually start to hate sin as a whole, really, and not, and, and I repeat, not make excuses for your sinful behavior and mistakes you make because of the heart condition of, well, I know I sin, but you know, God loves me, and you know, he died for my sins, and you know, whether I practice sin or whether I commit sin, that doesn't matter, because you know what? I'm not saved because I don't sin. I'm saved because of Christ's blood. Ouch. That is something definitely that you should not be able If you've been made over now, if you've had this makeover we're talking about here now, you'll be striving to be like Christ and doing the things that he did, making effort daily to hold and keep fellowship with Christ and, and really having a true relationship with him by faith, right? Uh, you will not be living in and practicing fornication. If you've been made over, you're going to keep your heart clean daily and not looking at the opposite sex, sex to lust after them, right? Jesus said that anyone that looks at a woman or you could say a woman to a man to lust means with the purpose of lusting after them. Well, he, he God considers that adultery, so we shouldn't be doing that. We know that adultery is not something that's God's will for anyone that's been had this makeover from God. You will then, if you've been made over, you'll trust in God and Christ. And you're going to put your faith in them totally for every single thing in your life, in your entire life. And you're going to strive not to worry. Because you see, you can't worry and trust. They're just they're black and white. They, don't, they make gray. They make lukewarm. And they make a spew out of the mouth because you can't worry and trust. It just doesn't mix. Uh, God in Christ's name for you will be spoken by you for praise and, and in a way that he's everything to you and not as a swear word. Not as a swear word. If you've been made over and you're continuing to walk in that, you will know that salvation in Christ doesn't come by him or doesn't come by you having a belief in him. Oh, I just believe in Jesus. You know right now, if you listen to me, that you know you're saved, not because you believe in Jesus Christ, but that you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, not just had a belief in your mind about him, because we know the Bible says even demons believe and they're not saved. We know that for sure. And if you've been long enough in him, abiding in him by faith with these other elements that I've mentioned about describing you as a whole, then you'll be serving him somehow. You'll be serving him in different ways. For that's why he made you to serve him. And all of these things, biblical. All of these things that I'm talking about now, they're all biblical. Just read the Bible and just intentionally, just read the Bible, just look for them. They're all there. You'll see what I'm saying is true. Just read it. So again, I ask, have you ever had a makeover from God? And is he still making you over until this very day through sanctification? Many have told me that they've been, but, but as I've just hung around with them and examined their lifestyles for a while, because we're, we're told to test ourselves, and if we're supposed to be looking at ourselves to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith, well, you know, certainly, you know, Jesus said to test the apostles. The Bible says test the apostles. Those that come to you, are they really of Christ or not? So we can actually be looking at them. Are you really? Well, let me look for fruits in your life, right? The Bible talks about these great fruits. And so let me look for these great fruits. Well, well I've hung around for a, with a lot that have professed to know Christ for a while. In no time at all, I've come to the quick realization that they've not been made over. Or if they have, they're walking away. And really, after just examining these fruits of their lives for a while, 
And I know, that, I know that right away, really soon after, I'm not really with one of God's children, but rather I'm with one of Satan's angels, or the angel of darkness himself, for their lifestyles in the areas I just spoke of are against Christ and his ways, not for them. Not for them at all. Oh, I love Jesus, but oh, I've been living with my girlfriend for 10 years. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we're married, you know, common law married. Well, yeah, we have sex all the time. Well, you're not married in the eyes of the law? Well, no, no, no. Well, that's a fornication. That's adultery. That's fornication. What are you doing? Oh, but I love Jesus. Oh, F this, S that. Oh, S this. Oh, F that. Oh, oh praise God. I've seen it on Facebook pages. Oh, I'm an F and B. I'm an F and B. B, 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 Next post. Oh, I love Jesus. He's my everything. I've seen it. You know it too. Just look on Facebook. You'll see it too. Facebook is out of the heart, ladies and gentlemen. Facebook, however you are on Facebook, that's how you really are. Whether you really accentuate those things in, in your life amongst humankind or not, that's who you really are, who you are on Facebook. And if that's you, you've not been made over. Uh, those that I've talked to, those that I've known, I love Jesus, they live in compromise. They speak profanities. It's just the normal way of their speech. Uh, them sinning means nothing to them. And living the same ways that professing atheists live, they drive like the devil. They speed the church if they go. They live in fornication and adultery. Uh, idolatry towards money, no total trust, no total dependence on God and Christ, which tells me that they have not been converted and not been made over by God's makeover. And to be as a little child, as Jesus said, unless you have been converted to be as a little child, then the Bible says you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to heaven. Please examine yourself and your ways today in the light of the info I've just given you. Please. And please be honest with yourself and ask yourself if you've really had God's makeover. And if you've had for sure, are you still allowing him to make you over daily? Or have you fallen to backsliding? Have you fallen to the corruption of the world? Have you fallen to persecution and so you're apart from Christ? But, but maybe you still think you're in him, but you, yet you won't speak his name anymore. You love the world and the things of the world. The Bible says you're in danger. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, guys. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in faith. Test yourselves. Don't you know that you are in Christ unless indeed you have been disqualified? How would you become disqualified? I don't have faith. Oh, you know, oh, God. You know. Oh, you know, God doesn't care about my sin. Oh, well, you know, God loves me no matter what I do. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I believe that all roads lead to heaven. Jesus is just, just one of them. All disqualifying factors. God loves you and Christ died for your sins. And he longs for you to walk with him in perfect fellowship and communion. But in order for that to happen, ladies and gentlemen, he requires and desires you to give yourself and your heart to Him. Lay it all down totally and wholly and fully and surrender. Jesus, I need you. I don't want to live this way anymore. God, live inside me. I, I'm, I, I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm giving myself to you. If you've examined yourself and found that you've never been there or, or you're not there anymore, please come to Christ today. 
no matter where you are, for he longs to have you. He pleads through me, actually, the Bible says, to you to come. Come, drink of the fount of living waters today. Jesus Christ today. Lay your heart down or back down on the altar or the rock of Christ and be broken on the rock. And please don't be smashed by the rock. Matthew 21, 44, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Whoever falls on this stone in surrender on top of, right? As Jesus says, my Lord, I've given you my life. He says they will be broken, but that's a good broken, right? That's a good broken. That means a, a saved broken. But he says, on whoever it falls, meaning I don't bow, but he's going to come on wrath because you haven't, because your sins aren't covered by his, his sacrifice on the cross. On whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Come to Christ before you're ground to powder, please. Let God make you over or come back so that he can continue his makeover of you. He's pleading with you today through me now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this message, Lord. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for the example that you've given us with Saul. Lord God, thank you so much for the example of what you want to do in every one of our lives. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for even if, Lord, who even cares, Lord, if we're called to a life of suffering as you called Saul to? Who cares, Lord God, because it's because you love that you even do that. It's because you love the lost and broken world. Lord, the lost and broken world that's not broken on the rock, Lord God. It's being smashed by the rock. Lord God, because it refuses to relent, even though it knows what you want it to do. Lord God, please, waken up, please, these people that, I'm, that are listening to this message that are not yours, but they're deceived into thinking that they are, Lord God. And turn them to you. Or turn them back to you, Lord God, whatever. Please help them to realize today that there is no security in Christ unless you're abiding in Christ, unless you're there abiding in the vine. Lord, attached to taking from his nourishment from, then the vine is nourishing them, then it's growing there. They're growing like the vine wants them to grow. They're not secure. You're going to cut them off and you're going to smash them under the rock. Please, God. Bring people to Christ right now today. We love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.